0: Welcome to the Carmen Murray Show, where we have conversations about 21st century business and culture. Together, we'll play in the customer experience sandpit, leaving no stone unturned, as we address today's burning marketing issues. CMOs need to be more versatile than ever before, as they abandon stale thinking, integrate data insights and technology, Create seamless brand experiences and maintain customer-centric human connections to serve and simplify their customers' lives. From the Solid Gold Studios, here's your host, Carmen Murray.
1: Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Carmen Murray Show. Super, super excited. Today we're going to whoop it up and huddle. Bring your pen and paper near because we're going to have some serious conversation about digital marketing, specifically aimed towards social media. But before I announce our guest, I would like to also just quote something very interesting. Gary Vaynerchuk, as you all know, I'm a big fan. He says something very profound. There is no sale without the story. No knockout without the setup. 99% of people don't market in the year that we live in. So... With that being said, and with that in mind, without further ado, I would like to introduce Dylan Colsat, Shift One Digital Marketing Academy. Welcome! Woohoo! Thank Woohoo! you. Thank it's so size. How long has it taken us to get together in a room? I know it's ridiculous. It has been a virtual relationship, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's that's how all relationships that's apparently take is. off, hey? Exactly. So, um. Just to start off the conversation, if you were at a party and you had to introduce yourself, how would you do that?
2: I would say I'm trying to be the female Gary V, just mm. more attractive, hopefully, and less oh, yeah. hairy, although it is winter, so maybe Unless, not.
1: less Russian, don't hack <laughs> yes. and interfere with. Uh, With uh, not that he did it (laughs) maybe a little
2: more intelligible because I I mean I love Gary V as well and I listen to him I'm like he's not even speaking English and everybody they read his positivity and they read his vibe and they just read into everything that he's saying whatever that is that they need to take out of it so actually he is an alchemist he's amazing
1: no he is I wish we could get him on the show but I think we're going to have to settle with you (laughs) 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 settle for me (laughs) I'm just jesting Um, okay so Something that Gary said that was so profound is people don't market in the year that we live in. So with that in mind, what is the state of social media? What's happening out there? What are the things that you're noticing? And do you think that that's true?
2: Yeah, I think for me social media, you know, just a few years ago everyone was freaked out by social media. So everyone was rushing to these courses, what is social media? What should I be doing? And I think everyone was looking for something different, you know, the emperor's new clothes, but actually, you know, what I call me to social media or just ticking the box social media is just creating content lens and putting it out there mm-hmm. and just communicating your your business in a way that hopefully isn't hard sell so there's that bottom level of the permit. if you look at it as a permit, the real bottom level of social media is just being on it and being present being active but as you move up that level you move up in authenticity and you start creating video and podcasts about the behind the scenes and about who the company is and the values and you start showing how the staff live the values and you start using micro influencers not these big macro influencers because yeah. influencer marketing is also going the way of the dodo and um I think for me, social media used to freak everybody out. And so I just say, just start it. Start creating your content for those people, the, you know, the smaller entrepreneurs or maybe the smaller marketing managers. Of, you, know, you don't have a budget. You don't know if you're doing the right thing. You're doing the right thing by doing your content plans, getting it out there, but you're not moving the needle. It's not going to move the needle. Don't even be mistaken. If you want to move the needle, you have to do something that's completely different. And these days, for me, the buzzword is authenticity. So be real, be behind the scenes, profile your staff, profile your customers, and stop being too overproduced and too glossy. You know, make it believable. That's it,
1: yeah. Yeah. I mean, just further to your point, I think it also is the currency of the 21st century, which is all about authenticity. Yes. Um, But also very importantly is you touch on something that really piqued my interest, which is about this whole uh, movement on Mm micro-influencers. And I read an article the other day with this big hype happening with computer-generated influencers, which is becoming a big thing at the moment um oh yes i don't know if you've yes, seen I that. Saw like, that like it's not even real people yeah. and they get invited to events and it's all like bots virtual and, oh my goodness and then yeah. they have like a million followers and stuff like that that is a bit freaky augmented reality yeah i mean like um did you watch that what was that the fire festival did you watch yes. that documentary i know cringe <gasps> for days i mean like really
2: cringing for days i know I couldn't believe it. I would actually have stressed myself to another blood group.
1: John Flissmas, actually, when he was here, when we were talking about that specific show, he said that he thinks that that show was filmed throughout the fire Festival because he knew it wasn't true and he knew that people would buy the documentary of what went down. And that's how he made up the money for all the money he spent. Oh, my gosh. I mean, like, really? Clever. Could be. She's like... Yeah, my mind's not devious enough to think of (laughs)
2: these kinds of things. John Blissness would definitely think of that.
1: (laughs) Totally. So talk to me why you think, you know, micro-influencers are more important and what does that mean for companies?
2: So micro-influencers... They don't necessarily have the reach, but they have the authenticity. And your macro-influencers, sure, they have, you know, I feel influencer marketing in South Africa is broken because we don't engage with our influencers because our influencers just want money. So you reach a top-level influencer, they charge you 60,000 rand for that tweet, and that's it. Like, you are, you reach out to an influencer and they'll send you their rate card. There's no, like, yes, I actually believe in this program. I want to do this for free. Mm. I actually believe in the product. No, I don't want your money. There's literally no authenticity. It's literally just like a paid-for exchange, and so you get down the layers to the bottom of the pecking order. But they're higher in believability, credibility. And if you reach a lot of them, I mean, you look at the Daniel Wellington case study. How did those watches go from zero within one or two years? It was purely through a micro-influencer strategy.
1: And I think it's also powerful. I mean, what is those biscuits um, jam jams? Isn't mm-hmm. it jam jams. Mm-hmm. So their sales were decreasing and um, they didn't know what to do. And then they reached out to these food bloggers to make up recipes and smoothies and cocktails and stuff with the biscuits. And the sales just went up. And I think that's so true what you're saying. And and I think it was a very clever strategy. I think it's so important for you to connect to the brand that you're representing when you're actually doing influencer marketing. Yes. Because… Oh, you can pay me a million rand to say um, I use a certain product or Nivea yeah. cream or whatever the case might be. Like uh, Kylie Jenner did a tweet yes. on shaving cream, and then it was sold out everywhere. Not that I'm saying she doesn't use it; we don't know. Yeah. Um, but it's like if you sponsor somebody to represent a watch or so forth, if they don't wear the watch, yes.
2: How authentic authentic is that? You open by saying the state of social media, and you know, at the bottom of the rung, you've got your content that you're creating, but content you create about your own brand is immediately the minute you slap your brand on, it's not believable. So, when you get to micro influencers and you get to user generated content, so user generated content is kind of almost like micro influencers in the sense that it's small people creating content about your brand, immediately it's believable and you have a much higher reach and, you know, if you've got a lot more people talking about it. So for me, user-generated content should be at least 60% of your content plan and that's moving up that pyramid, which I'll happily share that pyramid with your readers, but... uh Listeners. (laughs) (laughs) Listeners. <laughs> <laughs> the only one reading this is Google. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Spiders.
1: We're in the age of voice. Voice.
2: <laughs> Optimization. What so, um, but yeah, so basically user-generated content, I think, is something that any marketing manager can start to, you know, strategize how you can get your users creating content about you because it's going to push your brand to the next level. And if you look at micro-influencers creating you know, recipes for jam-jams or you've got your customers creating recipes for jam-jams, at the end of the day, you don't have to create the content. There's less pressure on you. And I think for me, that's where social media marketing is moving to and the progressive social media market is looking for ways to inspire their uh, customers to create the content for them. Because then what you do, now if we go back to our beautiful Gary V, <laughs> he's taught me, if I am creating content, and I'm a user and I've created a content about your Jam Jam product and then you take that piece of content you can turn that into an ad you can target it at other people who are exactly like me my demographic my psychographic who I am what I look like the way I speak where I live and you can literally segment you can create these tiny microscopic audiences, which we can do with digital. You can create these beautiful microscopic audiences, and you create microscopic content to match your microscopic audience, so that okay. I'm not showing content to somebody that doesn't match that demographic. So, as a marketer, it's hard for us to come up with all this content, but if your users are creating the content, you know, you can mix it into believable um, pr- promoted content, you know, and reach more people exactly like that with highly, highly micro segmented audiences
1: it's so important because we're moving into an era that's all about being bespoke um and having a singular view of the customer and yeah. i mean how amazing if you rather get your audiences to help you create your content yes but then you have to release the preciousness that you have over your brand correct, correct. which is which is probably where i think yeah. the monolithic power is out there they will, They're not They will, right. will
2: roll over in their graves. So if you look at this great um, American brand Glossier, if you go onto their Instagram, they are a predominantly user-generated content brand. And it is a little bit, weird and a bit strange and a bit cringy (laughs) here because it's all user-generated content but their brand is completely built for the user by the user their marketing managers have to reply to the comments on social media they literally listen to what their audience is asking on instagram they're almost an instagram only um brand wow and it's all user-generated content they've built this 100 million dollar business in a couple of years. That's
1: incredible. yeah We had um Brian altridge here from Rock and Mummers and he was also talking about how they have built up this humongous engaged community on Instagram. Like wow. Instagram is like flying for them. So wow. it's always just interesting to to listen to that. Look I'm figuring Instagram out, I have to be honest. I'm <laughs> not that I'm a dinosaur like I can find your Instagram handle it's I am Carmen Murray <laughs> I and it's not Carmen even on Murray. your website and I'm because I'm Instagram
2: first I love Instagram I can blog and I can make a video and I can do photos on it it's like for me a one stop shop of everything
1: I'm starting to get hooked on it and, yeah. I'm, and I'm really enjoying it I'm very much all about LinkedIn I'm obsessed with oh, LinkedIn. LinkedIn is epic it is yeah. it is life-changing for me and I have built my entire Brand and business, specifically on LinkedIn and um, Facebook, obviously, but Facebook to me is becoming like the Hallmark cards, you know? Oh, yeah. Like it's so, and it's just, I don't know, but I mean, that's just my perception. I actually can't.
2: I don't consume Facebook. You know, when we create content, we share it to Facebook. But there's something about Facebook. And sure, most of our marketing and our client outreach happens on Facebook. We place mm. ads there because there's millions in, of people still there. But I personally, I just, I don't love it.
1: And Facebook's getting it. older, hey? Mm. Maybe we're just getting younger. We're Benjamin <laughs> Button. So we're just like literally <laughs> migrating. We're so through. ahead of the curve. <laughs> oh my gosh. Just something very important, like fail to plan is planning to fail. Yes. And one thing that I notice is that there's a lot of companies that everything is lastminute.com. Mm. We don't plan.
2: Oh, no, but that's South Africa, brew.
1: Like, seriously, it oh, is so. It, my it's, hat. Like, it's, it is unnecessary anxiety. We've just finished our episodes on wellness and trying to avoid anxiety and <laughs> <laughs> depression. <laughs> this lastminute.com thing ain't working very well for us. But I mean, like it's true what you say. I mean, it is a South African thing. I don't think we like planning.
2: No, I don't think we like planning. I don't know what it is, but maybe the plan is down in Cape Town and the rest of them moved up. <laughs> They were like, "What were we thinking?" (laughs) You
1: said it. (laughs) You said it, not me. So, for our international audience, just so you know, Cape Town. I know you all love the Table Mountain, which is amazing. We love it too, but it's known as Slopstad or Mother (laughs) City because it takes nine months for something to happen there. So, if you want to go and do business there, the decision process takes. It's very true. Can never sell a course there. It's just like a nightmare. (laughs) But um, what is the importance of content planning like if you had to take content planning and say okay right this is how you approach it what would your advice be do you know
2: you know. You know that's a south africanism as well
1: <laughs> so
2: we do content planning, we create content plans and we'll schedule our content. I don't love scheduled content. It's not fresh, it's not now. It's immediately stale, but you kind of have to do it. So what I suggest, you know, and what we do with our clients is we'll we'll run our scheduled content. You know, we will pre-plan it and at least, you know, a week, sometimes even a month, we'll plan the whole content, get it approved by client and then we'll schedule it, okay? but the best thing is then the brand manager and the content manager goes in every day and tries to find something fresh and relevant and happening and live because that's what adds this edginess and this and that's why you know stories are so powerful mm-hmm. so for brands to be using stories and and live disposable content and behind the scenes and you know live video that just takes it to the, the next level of reality now you know the sun rises and it sets, and that and that day is gone, so with the content, the content is disposable, which took me the longest time to as a marketer. I was like so against anything disposable. I'm just like about I need to recycle this content. I am not creating any assets that I'm just going to throw away, but I get that you know people want it to feel real and uh, tangible
1: for sure, and I mean you're talking about repurposing content. Gary V. repurpose it like 32 times, like that man you can learn from. From 1985 when he slid hair. I mean, it's so important um, to be relevant and also be part of the conversation, but something very interesting that you're mentioning is this whole thing about storytelling. People, uh, not people, but specifically brands, um, don't take accountability when it comes to storytelling, or maybe I wouldn't say they don't take accountability, but there comes a point where we have to take some sort of responsibility for the stories we tell and who they belong to. And I find that in a time where we woke. And we're seeing all of these transitions and paradigm shifts happening. I'm using all of the cliches today. I've never actually I'm said woke. <laughs> <laughs> but it's
2: very cool that you are <laughs> with it.
1: <laughs> but don't you find, um, you know, brands are becoming very cautious of the type of stories they tell because everybody is so sensitive out there and you don't yes. know if this story that you're creating. Can it
2: cost you your career.
1: Correct. So, I know,
2: like I was watching the, the one radio presenter who was a TV and she dropped some comments about her gay friends and everybody went up in storm and she's like, but I'm commenting about my friends is what I say to them all the time. And But look, that is kind of, okay, those are the topics to be avoided. What I like to tell my brands is that if you plan for the fallout, if you have a comeback ready, if you're starting to do something that's slightly controversial, just plan for the fallout. So there's a An incredible example, which I'm happy to share the link on your channel, of um, Honeymaid. They created a campaign with different types of families, you know, like mixed gender families, same-sex families, and... They basically said that this is this is love. This is what love looks like. This is what a healthy family looks like. And there was a huge fallout. And two weeks later, they came back with a prepared campaign where they printed out all of the hate mail and they printed out all the love mail. And then they spelled the word love. And basically they showed that there was more love out there for the campaign than there was hate for the campaign. Well, I've got a client who in Namibia, the CEO, comes up with these highly controversial campaigns which freaks the poor marketing manager out no end. And so I said to them, you just have to, literally two weeks later, at the end of the controversial campaign, you have to show that, but this is what we actually meant and this was the good outcome video. You have to have it prepped. So if you are starting to... Do storytelling and you're starting to encroach on topics that are potentially might blow up in your face. Just have your PR agency, your social media agency, your creative agency standing Mm. by to put a spin on it and show. But this is actually um, what it meant, what it was all about. It's
1: so true because I I recall this case study because I'm like, oh, I love case studies. Mm. I'm like a freak. I'm obsessed. If you have good ones, you must share. Oh my gosh, I've got like 8,000 already. On my library. You're like I'm like I wake up four o'clock every morning to research case studies and then what? I do case study workshops. Yeah, I love it. It's like my thing. Wow. because um, I think it can feel your the creativity and inspire innovation. I think it's so important. But apart from that, you mentioned this and I recall the detail behind it. So Honeymade expected the fallout. The fallout. Mm. So they were ready and prepped for it just yeah. in case it's gonna go what the action plan is going to be right. They didn't create the campaign because yeah. uh, they didn't know what direction it was going to go. And, you know, the people were just completely immersed because, because I, if I'm not mistaken, Honey made was actually a brand that was founded where the biscuits that they used uh, was actually specifically to get rid of the fact that if you gay, I think – if I'm not mistaken, we'll have the link of the case study and the press releases and stuff like that in the show notes. But if my memory serves me right, the, the initial, it was Graham Biscuits in the beginning. And then I think they moved over to rebranding it to Honey Made. And the Graham Biscuits were actually founded by a gentleman that was a pastor or a preacher. And apparently if you took these wheat biscuits in, then it would actually neutralize your gender or your um, sexual orientation. And that's how they did that. So this brand was not founded in a very... Uh-huh. um just way if mm. i can put it that way and then eventually they progress forward they changed the name of the brand and i think there was some associations happening so there was a big and bold move for them to move yes. into the new era of they being did woke. the miley cyrus yes she killed hannah montana
2: with that one video and that <laughs> other <breaking> video <laughs> she's like i'm gonna kill hannah montana no one will ever associate her with me again <laughs>
1: <laughs> they Never did the Miley Cyrus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's such. I love that example. But um, yeah, I mean that that was a brilliant way of doing, it. and I think it's also being prepared. I think it's almost like a fire drill that you need to do. Correct. Yeah. Can, especially, it's a very sensitive time that we're living in. So mm. people have a very different way of responding to things, and mm. for some reason, people really love being vocal on social mm. media. But it's face to Twitter face, yeah. Twitter can be quite <gasps> toxic. A white space, yeah. Oh.
2: So for example on Twitter what was trending the one time a couple of weeks ago was this Mesa this ad, this Oh w- in the factory terrible ad, yes. yes. The bad rapping, the bad dancing, literally like one of the worst ads I've ever seen. And I was thinking <laughs> if I was the marketing manager or the creative director or in any way involved, I would have spun it around to say, We make shit ads but great computers or, <laughs> or our whole budget went to making good computers. We don't have money left to afford an ad agency. So they could have really spun it around and used the same hashtag that was trending like two weeks later or one week later or even a couple of days later to get massive market exposure and turn the whole thing from like a from the laughing stock to literally like oh epic i've got to support them (laughs) so i think like even if there is fallout like in the old pr adage there's no such thing as bad pr you can spin it around
1: Totally. And, and that brings us back to people or companies that are too precious about their brands. they mm. so rather just remove it, spend mm. millions on this campaign. But now let's just like, okay, uh-huh. we're not going to continue this conversation. Let it just go silent. And I think you're 100% right. I mean, I would have loved seeing something like yeah. that. Well, you think- after you know who to contact when you want. to change your fallout around hey shift one that. (laughs) but i think also it comes from the top the ceo
2: has to be into it and the board has to be into it Mm. you've got these marketing managers who are trying to do the best and be creative and they literally just stifled so it really has to come from the top
1: yeah and i think also the challenge lies within red tape so Mm. making the decision i mean if you look at escorts what happened there with the hysteria outbreak. I mean, it took way too long for them to To respond. respond. And sometimes when you do have a crisis like that, you have to say something. Mm. You you can't just ignore that. And I think that is the gray area. I think for social media, it's like, you know, there's pros and there's cons Mm. depending on what the situation is. Completely agreed. Okay. So I want to talk to you about something that I've noticed um, on, on uh, social media and, I do these little sales and marketing boot camps specifically for um, entrepreneurs, one-man bands, moms and pops, because they do get bamboozled by marketing consultants, spend all their money, they pay a 10000 rand retainer, don't get any leads, and these poor people, are they don't have money mm. um, to spend this lavish amounts on social media experts, mm. if I can put it that way, in inverted commas. And, um, I see this new thing going around click funnels, sales funnels. Mm, yeah. And I want, as an expert in the room, and obviously, um, you know, social media is your game. Mm. What is your view on it? And is this legit? I mean, like, yeah. I'm just looking, there's something not sitting right when I see it. So
2: as a marketer, I love click funnels because click funnels can get you really incredible conversions. There's so many people out there that are practicing click funnels. These days, it's literally any video I see, any free webinar I click on, they launch a series of emails targeted at me. The primary goal is to get me to upsell into the paid version. And I was on a, a little website the other day, which was a South African version of a click funnel site. And this guy selling LinkedIn, he's a LinkedIn guru and he sells LinkedIn training courses and optimization and this and this and consulting. And oh, I was actually proud of him. I thought, good for you. He's doing it. You know, everybody else is doing it all over the world. It works. Basically what it is, is it's the freemium model. You offer something for free and somebody sits and watches a whole webinar, which is basically just this pitch. They give you just enough. To become really interested in doing the paid for version, and then this whole stream of emails just comes hitting you, depending on where you are in the sales process so it 's basically sales optimization on steroids, and it 's fine if you 're selling a legitimate service, which most people are you could be selling personal training, you could be selling you know recipes, you could be selling music lessons, you could be selling digital marketing, as long as people don't make exaggerated claims, mm. you know, there's nothing wrong with click funnels. They're actually extremely powerful and quite simple to set up. And, you know, if you go on jeffwalker.com, he does ClickFunnels. It's basically email marketing. It's the power of email marketing. You know, when I run an email marketing course, it's not full. Social media classes are full. Mm. But email marketing, one of the cheapest, most effective, most powerful platforms, and one of the most misunderstood platforms, I think, you know, hardly anybody turns up. I go to Mm. meetings with clients, small entrepreneurs, and I say to them, you know, where's your email marketing? No, they're not doing it. So you're asking me to get you leads, so I must get you inquiries, email addresses, and then you're going to follow up once, and that's it. Mm. Whereas email marketing just does this slow nurturing process, So basically, that's all that ClickFunnels is. It's like, okay, I know you watched the video, so I'm going to give you an email to encourage you to take the next step. Or I know you took the next step, so I'm going to give you another Mm. email. It's basically just monetizing your knowledge at the end of the day.
1: Yes, I do agree with you. I I mean, I think about it. When we work with clients, it's all about how do I grow the brand, retain the customers, acquire new customers, and do the brand awareness so yeah we do all of that but then the one thing that bothers me is where does the digital asset lie because it's all landing pages from here to there and you know you also have a responsibility to build your own digital assets so is there blurred lines there or do you find that that's not a problem well for me the asset belongs to the client I don't know if so I'm on the ClickFunnels. Fun- the click they, they encourage you not to go to the website. So you oh, landing use pages. Like, like a series of different landing pages yes. that takes you to different things. So it's not going to your website necessarily. Look, we host everything within the client's website, but you
2: won't see any menu
1: because okay. I don't want you
2: clicking away.
1: Correct, and keep you on the I keep on the you platform. on that page. Okay, gotcha. So
2: there's no menu at the top, but it's hosted on the client's site. And as long as they pay my hosting fee, that asset belongs to them. You know, they paid for it. We set it up. It's theirs, as long as they keep paying the hosting fee. So in your
1: experience there? Well, I just uh, went on the webinar. and I oh, was, yeah. like, was it the ClickFunnels oh, webinar? No, the ClickFunnels was uh, Neil Milan. Oh. Yeah, I went on that. the you said his name. Hey, I'm not shy of <laughs> saying names. I mean, I was all over the internet. Yeah, And then I clicked on it. I did the webinar. 90 minutes later, bought a course for 900 Rand. And I was like, okay. And then in that course, you have to go through it within 72 hours. And then you get sold the actual course, which is 85,000 Rand. Where all the meat lies. Yes, And then you just see people going ballistic and angry and, no, and, and, and you know, stuff. It's not good.
2: That's not good because now there are guys out there that are selling the entire library of training deep, beautiful training courses on the most granular topics with videos for, you know, $30. You can have access to their full library. Mm. So charging 85,000 Rand for
1: content that is now commodity mm. is daylight robbery it's crazy and and then they teach you how to start you know working remotely with your business for me personally is i can't speak because i haven't tried it personally yeah Um. i'm very protective over my brand i'm very protective of my clients brands as well as we all should be yeah um but i think when it comes to those kind of things i think it's also important to understand as to how aggressive are you because if you're going to do that and one million other people are doing that I think that it does a disservice to the rooms, social media rooms, if I can put it that way. So you're in this place where you're actually there to engage with your friends and everybody is selling you these like, customers are not stupid. Yeah. Eventually, you know what the pattern looks like and you're going to start seeing, okay, right, well, everybody is doing this. So I can't see Facebook and LinkedIn eventually will pick up to this thing and I don't think it's going to be very good for the platform if it's done in such a robust way. Specifically, when there is a lot of complaints going around and people having a bad experience because they're not being told upfront the truth, mm. it's not like I'm saying, Okay, right, it's like saying, Okay, right, you know, you can uh, we are going to cover you for your life insurance, right? If you sign up now, then you only pray this much, and then but if you watch this whole little thing that we're giving you, then at the end. Then we're gonna add something else on for you, and then you know your grandchildren, everybody will be taken care of. Then you get there, and then you get told, but you have to spend reinsure or insure like seven other people, yeah when you get to that point, you're annoyed and you're like, "Why yeah. don't you tell me this up front?" Yeah, no, that's dodgy, and it's completely unethical and you're burning through
2: customers, you're burning through your your brand I mean that's marketing one oh one don't sell hot air and bullshit, you know. South Africa is a tiny, tiny, tiny market. Where are you going to go once you've burned through your customers? And if they're not referring you and they're actually doing bad referrals and negative reviews, then you've got a serious problem on your hands. You have to constantly be finding new customers where you could actually have the same customers that you are continuously selling to. by guys, we've just created a new model. It's $5, $10, $30. Here's our new module. You sound like you're from
1: Thailand. (laughs) (laughs) $1, $2. Anyway, Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just joking. This is the thing is we have fun here.
2: Exactly. So I think, you know, sorry to go on about the subject, but $85,000 is a crap ton of money. Like as a small entrepreneur, that's your annual marketing budget, if not two years marketing budget, if not three years marketing budget. And if you put that into Facebook lead generation ads, I mean, you could have already, you know, been minting it. Like you should be getting a four times return on those rands that you're spending and as a small entrepreneur it's unforgivable that they are taking that money especially in today's economic climate
1: i mean that's the thing for me and it's like i'm very protective over entrepreneurs and i think that um, not enough people as minus bread rack you know has started sme africa i'm um, specifically taking care of the smes which i think is a good initiative i think it's so important to Ensure that SMEs and small businesses get the support because there's not a lot of support out there. It's like, ah, you know, you you get lured. Mm. Um, But you know, it's the promise
2: of quick money or the, yeah, like like, Bitcoin and and all of those things.
1: Oh, but I'm glad I, I found out um, because it didn't sit well with me. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad that you could have... Yeah, they're ClickFunnels and they're ClickFunnels. There's ClickFunnels and then there's ClickFunnels. Yeah. Maybe you should do a course on ClickFunnels and I then charge so. like ridiculously cool, cheap amounts. And maybe amounts. you can get all of those people to come to your <laughs> course instead of spending 85000 and do your own ClickFunnels and exactly. show people how to do it.
2: Well, actually, one of the things I want to do is something similar to that, where I build a whole website and click funnels for you and you can just come and i'll just charge you a percentage of whatever you make. If you don't make money, i don't make money. And we literally just build it for you and, you know, we can set your own click funnels up whatever you're selling.
1: Well, then we're going to talk because we'll
2: talk. You no, know, we'll talk. Take it
1: offline. Take this offline, baby. <laughs> okay. What i want to talk to you about also is if you had to bet on the social media channels that you should really spend a lot of time on. You can have so many so social media channels, but i think understanding where you are and the tone that you need to use in each platform Mm. if you had to start as an organization or as a business which are the two channels that you would definitely invest in as a corporate as a business yes so i would
2: say link to b market linkedin is it's incredible and it's very easy to rank in linkedin with their algorithm and you know linkedin search optimization It's not quite as onerous as Google yet. Mm -hmm. It's very easy to rank in LinkedIn at the moment. And it's an epic space to be in, especially if you're in a business-to-business market. And I would have to say podcasts. After Mr. Gavin convinced me about podcasting from (laughs) Solid Gold Studios, please call. The number appears below.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, podcasts are amazing. I do think
2: podcasts. Yeah, and it's funny because if I'm not mistaken, just recently it was almost predicted that podcasts were going nowhere but then they did the opposite and they went everywhere and now they're literally taking over the world everybody's listening to podcasts
1: oh this is hilarious so my husband became a running junkie so it was like i'm not seeing him anymore because he's just like running marathons and like it's becoming crazy so he said to me why don't you start running okay so (laughs) i I started practicing this thing so the only way i can get through it is listening to a podcast oh wow it's the only way i can get through it because it's is my legs are moving, I'm not thinking about it. I'm listening You're to it. You're
2: distracted.
1: Watch, <laughs> exactly. Where the information is coming from. So, I mean, podcasts, I think also where it's going in the future, I think it's very important for people to, not that we at all trying to sell Sonical to studios right now, <laughs> no. but I mean, I'm just talking out of experience is it has really just been such an amazing journey in the past two years doing podcasts because It's a way to connect with people Mm. um, and to give far more context behind the story that you're trying to tell, which for me has been a wonderful part of my journey. And Instagram? Oh, look, I love Instagram. It is my
2: favorite thing. What worries me about Instagram is it's owned by Facebook, and I feel Facebook is just going to kill it the way it's killed Facebook, you know, with too many ads. I saw in Australia, did you see that they've removed the count on number of people who are liking posts? yes. So it's ridiculous. I feel like they're going, you know, they have to kill Instagram just the way that they've killed Facebook. But it's got a slightly longer shelf life. And something else is going to come along, but I just don't know what that is.
1: I mean, there's going to be a new acquisition. You never know. But I mean, I think there's been a lot of instability specifically after the the U.S. elections and um, with the data breaches happening. I think there's a lot of trust issues from brand perspectives. I do think that it will repair itself. But eventually, when all brands wake up and realize that they need to have a very bespoke way of engaging their customers, mm. having a proper DMP in mm. place, knowing when to contact or engage with a with a customer at the mm. right point in time, I think that's yes. when things are going to shift. And I do think we are going to see huge increases in cost per lead. Mm-hmm. Once the big migration happens, Mm. I think that now is the safe place for brands that are bold to do their thing. Exactly. Because when everybody starts migrating, I think it's going to be like a Google AdWords type of bidding game. Oh, my hat. Yes, but I think you're absolutely on the
2: money. I think what you've hit the nail on the head the brands of the future are finding their customers on the platform that the customers are on and they're communicating to them in the way that resonates best on that platform. So if I'm on Twitter, you're reaching me on Twitter with content that I want to see on Twitter. And it's the same with Snapchat. And it's to go back to Gary Vee, if you visit the GaryVaynerchuk.com website mm-hmm. and you scroll down to the very bottom, he breaks down all the platforms that he's on and he tells you how each piece of content that he puts on every platform is slightly different. So if you go to his Snapchat, you see behind the scenes that is on no other platform. If you go to his Twitter, you can reach him on a one to one conversation like no other platform. If you go to his he has absolutely nailed it and as marketers, we are often guilty of being time poor Mm -hmm. and we spam the same message on all platforms. And I think that absolutely we need to be creating content specifically and even if it means that you hire someone who just does your Twitter because they get Twitter, and you hire someone who just does your Instagram because they love, eat and breathe and sleep Instagram. And you're absolutely creating content for people that resonates on the right channel.
1: I love that because I think that's exactly the challenge. It's like everybody treats everything the same way. I mean, I'm guilty of that. I just like when I put my content out <laughs> I don't have time tweeting it. It's <laughs> like, like get it out there because, I mean, you're busy. You're in meetings. Mm. You can't mm. be everywhere at the same time. You want tick that box. But um, definitely... You know, practice what I preach. I need to, I know, hey, the cobbler, children know, the coupler, runs around without exactly. shoes, you know? Yeah. It's an interesting time to, to be alive. And I think for going back to Gary v, like I love the idea that he really simplifies social media so that you can understand where and how to use it. I think for marketers, the big challenge lies in the fact that we are in a position where we don't understand what our customers want and what mm. our customer needs are. Yes. What value we can bring to yes. their lives. So we create Preach this. It. I mean, like it's ridiculous. And then, you know, it's like SMS. Remember SMS? Yes. The financial organizations got yes. hold of SMS database. and scorched it to the ground. Yeah. Yeah. And this is exactly what's happening with social media. You have to be a responsible social media citizen. Yes. And make sure that you provide relevant content and do it to a way that you don't actually impact the way people are going to consume digital in the future well exactly and i think that that is what marketers are guilty of
2: because we are time poor so we just tend to spam out hard sell messaging when actually if you look at our good friend gary fee and this show is sponsored by gary v by the way but if you look at (laughs) Gary And Solid Gold Podcast Studio. Great rates call now. Um, uh, Gary V's content is highly emotive and highly encouraging. So actually the kind of content that consumers, because you you just told me that the podcast you recorded before is about dealing with anxiety, dealing with stress, dealing with depression. We're living in this age of too many expectations. Everyone thinks Mm. they should be rich and famous by now. And too much information overload and too much lethargy. We're just sitting consuming content instead of creating content, but we wonder why our lives aren't where it should be, but we're watching series all night when we should be working like me and Carmen. <laughs> so the content that he's creating is completely emotive and encouraging and saying to people, you can do it, guys. Come on, you know, get up, put your phone down. For if sakes. Like- For if sakes. F, F, F. But he's really just incredibly encouraging. And I think that if marketers understand that people are struggling out there and how can they just use content that just encourages them to get through their day? I mean, that's a starting point. No, totally.
1: I have been following you for a long oh, time. Oh, that's so cool yeah. of you. Yes. You'll sit in a Thank meeting you. and you're just like, hey, let's just have a quick chat and let's <laughs> record this. And, they're like, and then you have your quotes and you, you repurpose your content. Yeah, you do your thing very well. If we had to look at um, creating effective organic content, not everybody has money to spend on advertising. What is the best tips and tricks To really create content that grabs people's attention, gets people to actually act upon it Mm. without having to spend a lot of money on advertising.
2: So I love writing blogs that are six ways to do this and nine ways to do that. Your listicles, everybody loves a listicle. What I do is I'll also record a little video summarizing the whole blog and embed that in for the people who don't want to read. And then you've got a, a quick video summary and you've got this listicle and anybody can create that themselves literally within about two, three hours. And it's good for SEO. You can send it out to press. You can send it out to your email database. You can load it up on your website. You can break it up and put it up in your social media content. So for me, marketing starts with writing. And like I said in one of my previous posts, If you want to be a digital marketer, you have to be a writer. You have to be able to write because digital marketing is all about writing. Social media is all about writing. But you can learn to write and you can, you know, if you read a lot of books and you start practicing, you can actually become a better writer. But for me, just create content that people want. And these are epic, epic websites out there that, you know, BuzzSumo... Um, LSI graph will give you the most amazing tips and ideas on what to write about. You know, what are people searching for? What is the top ranked content on this? You can go and Google it and you can see these are the questions people are actually asking. If you are Neil Patel, he's got um oh, Uber Suggest. Brilliant. Oh my gosh, Neil Patel, we should be just be talking about him. He's amazing. But your yeah, Uber Suggest will give you these amazing ideas of like, you know, what are people looking for? Mm. And you just create content that people are looking for. Because it doesn't help you creating content but nobody's searching for it. It's like we built a website for coffee capsules and everyone was searching for coffee pods.
1: You see it's You'll always using the customer's language, not yeah, your exact language. It's like vehicle tracking yeah. car tracking correct
2: yeah in south africa we were doing some research on safari to africa which was what the americans were typing versus african safari which is what the rest of the world types in <laughs> completely interesting and that was just using google trends which is free and uber suggest which is free so anything you do just started with your research and your keyword research you don't even have to go into your google adwords keyword manager which can be quite you know hairy mm. to navigate
1: I think also it's so important. I'll give you an example. So I have mentioned this in previous podcasts. I apologize that you have to listen to the story again, but I'm <laughs> just, just to put the context in it for you. So my husband and I decide, okay, he wants to buy a patio heater and he wants us to buy an outdoor umbrella a few years ago. So we decided, okay, we're going to do it. We go to the store, we go in the store, and where do you think you're going to find it? Outdoor section, right? Yeah. So we go to the outdoor section and we can only find the umbrella. Can't find the patio heater. So we're like, okay, cool. They must be out of stock. So 10 minutes up and down, going, looking for it, can't find it anywhere. We decide we're going to buy it online, get home, only to find out they don't have an online store. And I said to my husband, I'll go back to the store and just go when it's quiet because I went over the weekend. And a Wednesday." And I asked them, do you have patio heaters? Oh, yes, we do. I said, where are they? Because they're not at the outdoor section. And they had it in the aircon section because it regulates temperature. Oh, and that was for me an indication. First of all, if they had an online store, they would have understood how people navigate through their online store and how people search for things. The second thing is if they actually organize their aisles based on the moments of truth for the customer, not the moments of truth for them and how they buy from their suppliers, yeah. my customer journey and how I purchase would have mm. been yeah. much better. And this yeah. is exactly the challenge that we deal with is that yeah. we're using the wrong language to talk to our customers.
2: Yeah, I go on a website and I go on the live chats because I want to know how to buy this product because it's heavily technical. And it asked me, which department do I want to chat with? I don't know which department I want to chat with. I just want to chat to somebody that actually asked that. Are you really wanting me to figure that's your internal problem? Don't make this a (gasps) customer-facing problem. But it's like website usability. We test a lot of websites. So we'll put up a website. We'll get one human being in who's like a representative of that demographic, and they'll test the website. And I think that you should usability test a menu. How many menus I go to at a restaurant and I can't actually read the menu, you know, like start with the meat at the front, you know, like left line. People read top to bottom, left to right. Can you put subheadings on and don't call it something weird? I don't care what your internal name is to make this thing sound proddy. I just want to know if it's like a Alfredo pasta. Yeah. Don't come up with a new name because it doesn't help me at all. So menus, shopping centers, I think everything should be usability tested. I've been lost in shopping centers and not been able to find where I am going just because I couldn't be bothered to put a sign up somewhere. I know it's so true. And it's the same inside a shop, just doing usability testing, following your customers around. It's so easy. All you do is you get a customer, you say, where are you going? And you follow their journey and you can't believe the insights. But People build websites. They don't usability test them. They call sections of the website this because that's what they call it internally. That's their internal, you know, product name. And I'm like, nobody's going to know what that is. This is what humans
1: call it. You're speaking (laughs) my language because I do a lot of customer experience orders, right? So I'm like obsessed with customer experiences, right? And then we would take on the different personas and we'll go through the various customer journeys with obviously our ways of how also not just usability, but to check all of different types of possibilities and triggers and moments of truth that could happen and where everything is broken. Because siloed departments create siloed experiences and that's why everything is broken within the customer experience. And I promise you, when you do that, it literally is hundreds and hundreds of things that are so easy to fix. It's really not going to break the bank. And then there's other things where, yes, you have to have a strategic plan and you need to relook your business model and whatever the case might be. But it all comes down in putting yourself in the shoes of your customer, playing in the customer's sandpit. And you know how hard it is for companies, especially the bigger companies. Like what
2: amazes me, I'll I'll go into Woolworths, and I'm actually amazed and delighted when I will see dipsticks next to the dip. I'm like, oh, my gosh, how did they get this right? I mean, how many, you (laughs) know… You know, silos had to be like (gasps) bent to merge in order to get someone to put actually the cheese sticks near the dip. But it's and made even, a great yeah, experience because package, for me.
1: Because, but they even package it together. No, they
2: package it together. But Woolworths, I think, does it really well and they actually sometimes get it right. I actually feel for that for the marketing manager because actually to get, you know, merchandising, to talk to the packaging guys and to make sure that the packaging has actually got a little recipe on it because, I mean, you buy stuff and I don't know how to make this stuff. I ain't going to Google it. I want the recipe on the packaging.
1: <laughs> so Woolies does it so well. I know, but this is exactly the thing. And one of the things that you mentioned, is like also how they organise The aisles. So, the other day, and I get so upset. I know I want to get my 10,000 steps in, but when you're in a blooming hurry <laughs> and you want to get things done, now you can have promotions and you can tell me all the amazing things and things that are on sale. If I want to go and get Domestos and I want to get Handy Annie, I want to know when I walk down this aisle, I'm going to find what I'm looking for. It's not split into two different yeah. aisles. And so, yeah. you know how some of the aisles are organized? So, you um, so you can see it's a Randy hashtag. Really there's this one retail store that I'm not going to mention. We are completely drifting off from social media. I'm just saying. <laughs> anyway, but I just have to say this. So I went to go and look. So Cynthia, who works for me, says me, comes, I need the following products. And I'm in a hurry because I have to go to the next meeting, Wada wada wada. So I go down and I'm like, where the hell is the handy-andy? Like I can find the washing powder and I can find the, but where is the handy-andy? And then you have to go... Down two aisles oh, because they've got a gap, I, I don't know, like a horizontal aisle in the vertical aisle going and then they've got the special stuff in baskets in the horizontal aisle and it's down and then across all the cleaning products is chips or oh, no, no. stationery, stationery and stuff like that. And I was like, who organized the store? It just doesn't make sense. No. But I think it also translates back into social media. It's like... Mm. If you don't understand your customers' journeys, their interests mm. and their motivations, yeah. what, what what inspires them? How, how are yeah. you going to create content if you don't understand that?
2: Completely. And I don't hear enough marketers talking about the sales funnel. So understanding, okay, who are my customers that don't really know about me yet? And what kind of content can I give them to make them believe in me? Oh, guess what? I'm not going to give them any branded content because they don't know me and they don't trust me. I'm going to show them user-generated content and influencer content to inform them and educate them. They're going to read a blog written by a top blogger about f- four top investment funds for under 25-year-olds. Mm. And then that way, the high trust is there, the believability, because especially millennials do not trust brands. And that's my top end of the funnel. And then as they go down, sure, I can start showing them some remarketing banners once they've engaged, once they've clicked to the website. Then I can show show them ads, but I'm not going to show them ads of a guy in a blue suit with a briefcase because that's not them. They're wearing, you know, trainers and jeans and they don't want to aspire to work in a corporate office. So I'm showing them content written by people like them for them. And as they move down the funnel, the content is changing and the ads are changing and I can become slightly more hard sell once I know that they know who I am and they trust me. Mm. And I get that trust, not because of any branded content, but absolutely because of purely organic free content that was created in a highly authentic way by trusted bloggers, in which case they were not paid because Mm. the trust is immediately lost once you know that this is a paid for sponsorship and somebody's actually promoted something and got paid for it. Yeah. So
1: I think there's also another part to it as if the person, the influencer is really protective about what they stand for, what they believe in and they open and they say, I mean, you get a few good influence that Mm. would say, this is my belief system. This is what I believe in. Yes, I am going to sometimes be sponsored so we can keep this thing going. Mm. But I commit to bringing you the best and products that I believe is best for you and something that I believe in. Um, I think there is a safe place to play by your sometimes like you really get influences where you just look at the situation and you go, I can't believe they think that customer's all that stupid. Yeah. It's scary.
2: Yeah. Here I am standing in my bedroom with my like Capitech card. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but one of my clients, Revelstone, they do these amazing – um prefabricated fake stone that looks amazing and they uh, they have an influence who's one of the top interior designers and i can't remember her name I was i to I give her a free shout out and she refuses to be paid for any posts she's just a massive fan of theirs oh, wow. and she, according to her integrity she will not take any money she oh, refuses to take any sponsorship because she says it will undermine her authority as a design thinker oh. and so those are the kind of influences i think that are few and far between
1: Especially oh the ones that are
2: just trying to make money from influencing and don't actually have a skill. <laughs> Being pretty,
1: yeah, I know, and just having the hair done and yeah. Like, see, content needs to be fun. Yeah, like this show, guys. Come so on, fun. you are having fun, aren't you? I'm probably laughing your asses off. But the interesting thing for me is is that you always need to have fun and engaging content. Like, I love these uh, influencers or people that follow influences like makeup tutorials and then they show them trying to do it (laughs) and the looks that comes out. Have you
2: seen that content going around? You know, this for me is the future of influence marketing. Well, at least the very short term (laughs) future. It's these almost parody, not parody, but super hyper reality influencing like falling down, you know, making mistakes That kind of not super glossy at all. Yeah. That's like the thing now.
1: So I can't remember where I heard this research information, but I think it was one of the conferences I attended. But, oh, it was one of the students at the conference that was talking about it. Students, young people, they find it very creepy when you overdo your videos and your content because you're trying to be hip and cool and they can see it's old copywriters. They can see mm. it's old content being created. It's overproduced. It needs to be something that they can produce on their smartphones using an app. It needs mm. to be that simple mm. because these over perfected videos that goes out there is not authentic, which yeah. is that buzzword that everybody talks about. And yeah. if you look at all of the videos that goes viral, it's usually homemade little videos. Exactly. I mean, you know what I would love to do? Oh, <gasps> maybe we can collaborate, right? <laughs> I would love to do like sketches mm. and social experiments. Yes. Huh? Come, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do a social experiment. So, we have a another podcast that's part of Sonic Gold Studios, Kimberly <laughs> Stark and she's an actor and she's got like students that does acting and maybe we can get them involved and we do a social experiment and see if it goes viral.
2: Let's do it. Let's be controversial. Let's drop some bombs. Let's
1: slaughter some holy cows. F-bombs. F-bombs is actually a cheese ball, I think. (laughs) Just saying. Okay, so there's obviously so much to cover. I think we have to get you back. And then I think we need to talk about... Social media for small businesses, entrepreneurs. And we can maybe cover that in the entrepreneurial journey section. Yeah. And maybe get into your journey, how you got into social media and and what that was like and practical ways of how you can apply things. Before we play our game, you love lists and you mentioned a few free tools. So tell us what is your top five free tools that you love? Okay, I got to start with um, Flipboard. I know that Medium is the cooler
2: version of Flipboard, but I'm still a Flipboard fan. So every morning I check out Flipboard because it gives me all my top trending content for me to educate myself my, and I share it with my team. that educate themselves and I share it on my social media platform. So for me, flipboards really epic. I love my iPhone podcasting built-in app because it's just an incredible oh, yeah. way of staying on top of while I'm gymming, while I'm driving, gymming, Psh, <laughs>
0: In my dreams.
2: Um, I love Canva because there's so many awesome, cool, free templates and, you know, for a long time on my personal brand, I didn't have anybody doing my content and I thought, you know what, screw it, let's do it and I just created horrible, <laughs> cringeworthy, highly authentic, <laughs> I like to tell myself, posts that were canva up the wazoo and so I really love Canva because there should be no barriers to you creating your own content. And then I like Magisto because I, it, I can make my own short little videos myself. And you don't even need to have any video editing experience. You can literally just drag and drop your videos together and make your own little videos. That's
1: where you do your little interviews. Yes. yes. Yes.
2: So, yeah, there's obviously the ones that I've already mentioned, like Ubersuggest. Um, onto the Public. Answer the Public and
1: Keyword Man. Keyword, keyword
2: tool. I can go on and on. There's Facebook, so many. Trends.
1: And then I also like to add something that I you you've taken them all out of uh, my list. Also, you must go and play around with Liabird. So L Y R E B I R D. Okay. And you can create your own avatar using AI, and then oh. it, you you train your avatar. Oh.
2: Um.
1: I've twenty percent. I've trained mine twenty percent. So um, it's still learning how to adapt and sound like me, but eventually it's going to sound like me. No ways. Yes. And then I'm going to give it instructions and then I'm maybe going to use it as an intro for the show. I don't know. I better do this quickly before somebody else steals the idea. idea. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking way too fast here. Another tool that I really enjoy, and this is from people that we've interviewed on the show, is Notion. So Notion is like, you know, where you can do notes for yourself and it's almost like um, project managing things. I've got a spark file. My mind explodes from ideas. I think it comes from the case studies. And then I just put everything in here and then I just organize my mind. And that's it for now. (laughs) Okay. So in tradition, we're going to play our game. So I'm going to ask you questions. You've got one minute to answer as many questions as possible. So the whole key here is to think as quickly as possible. Okay. Whenever you're ready. Have you ever been arrested? No. Ah, oh, boring. You have a one-way ticket to Mars. What are the three things you'll take with you? Elon Musk, a <laughs> Tesla, and my Bible. What is your favorite book? Bible, <laughs> if money doesn't grow on trees, then why do banks have branches? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> quickly, is, oh, okay. If you could choose your, your celebrity parents, who would they be? Celebrity
2: parents, um,
1: Bill Murray, yeah, and
2: Common Murray.
1: I'm, I'm not a celebrity, but well, thank you very much. What is the most um, important memory you have, and why?
2: As a child, six years old, needed um, smarties, didn't have money for smarties, made art, walked door to door, sold it, and got my own money.
1: Oh, I love What's the weirdest thought you've ever had? Oh, my gosh. Oh, no, no, no. Okay. So now you still have to answer it. What is the weirdest thought you've ever had?
2: The weirdest thought I've ever had. Actually, I have never had a weird thought. Oh, that's
1: all you had to say. So my
2: aspiration is to have more weird thoughts.
1: (laughs) I'm sure. I've had some weird dreams.
2: (laughs) How much time do you have? This is the wrong show for that. This is
1: the wrong show.
2: (laughs) You could spot another channel for that one.
1: What made-up word would you incorporate into the English language? Um... You
2: needed to catch me on a day when my brain was actually working. Uh, A made up word (laughs) that should be incorporated into the... Sure, I don't know. Okay. I'm really boring.
1: What place would you... You're not boring. We've had such a fun time. What place would you first travel to if you could teleport? Machu Picchu. Where the hell is that? Mm. Peru. Oh, okay. Sorry, guys. If you are listening from there and you are from... Peru you can contact me and (laughs) scream and shout at me okay what superpower do you wish you had teleportation (laughs) Mm, I don't think I want mind reading because I
2: do not want to know what people are thinking
1: (laughs) oh my goodness this was such a fun show Thank Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to come with your busy training schedule um and we are going to schedule another one with you. Mm, I'd love and, that. Yeah, let's get the on little entrepreneurs and moms and pops sorted. Mm, anyway, indeed. for all you guys out there, if you have any questions or you want to learn more, please give us a shout out, but we love you. Thanks future for drive. Catch you on the
0: flip side. You've been listening to the Carmen Murray show, another solid gold podcast. Please take a moment to rate and share this episode with friends and colleagues who love customer experience and marketing just as much as you do. To connect with Carmen, visit CarmenMurray.com, where you will find links to her business services, future fit events, and biz community articles. Carmen Murray is CEO of Uya Modern Marketing Services that empower businesses to deliver premium customer experiences B2B b2c and b2b2c across all industries some of these services include research cx strategy persona development and customer journey mapping cx audits ux audits and the connected marketer training in connected customer experiences mobile data management and ai you've been listening to another episode from the solid gold podcast studios